Good morning and happy baseball opening day. Of course, Justin is here with me because there are no two bigger or more obnoxious baseball fans in our office. So Justin, happy opening day. Happy opening day. It's a great day and go Braves. We got really close to making to the World Series last year. We got to go see a game. We did and it was so great. We got to go see a live baseball game and I will be in Atlanta on Saturday of next week for opening week, opening home weekend. So I'm pretty excited about that. I am at home in Anniston right now at my mom's house. And I was going through looking for this t-shirt in particular, because this is the shirt that I wore every opening day of college, um, all four years. And somehow it has ended up at home. It ended up at home with my sorority t-shirts, but um, it, Anniston is only an hour away from Atlanta. So we grew, grew up going to a bunch of games. Nashville's a little further away, so I don't get to go as often as I like, but we did get to go to that game in Texas this year, which was the last one that they won in that series. It was, wasn't it the last win? Of the the season. Yeah, so we should have stayed and we might have made it to the World Series and, and brought home a trophy. But this we year we're gonna we're gonna pull from our savings and go for the whole series because we're the good luck charms. Um yeah, so I'm excited. I um my favorite player on the Braves roster is Dansby Swanson. I love him so much. And I am so excited. Jeff Francoeur used to be number seven. I loved him too. Um, but Dansby is the one who I'm most excited to see play this year. Um, I, I mean, of course, Freddie Freeman. But what about you, Justin? Who are you most excited to see in the Braves lineup this year? I'm excited for Freddie. You know, he got off to a bit of a rocky start last year. He had COVID before at the very start of the season. And so I, I really want to see him lean in and be a good team leader. So I'm very excited about that. I'm excited about our new pitching rotation too. We, we struggled a bit in that regard <laughs> last year with injuries and, and that's generous like, to say we struggled a bit. It's generous. Yeah. We got, we got a few new pitchers that I think can really round out our rotation and keep it strong. Cause that's what the Braves are historically yeah. known for, right? Is great pitching. And so combined better pitching than last year with a great offense. And there's a good chance we could go deep. Yes. What have you most missed about in-person baseball? I just enjoy going to games and relaxing and you know, eating um, peanuts, throwing the shells yeah. everywhere, yeah. And having a beer. It's just, it's a fun uh, environment and pandemic, whatever, whether it's travel or sports is kind of fun because, because of limits, they're doing 33% attendance uh, yeah. at the Brave Stadium. And so you kind of get to space out and kick your feet up on the chair seat in front of you. You don't have to sit next to anybody. So it kind of works out. Yes. I miss speaking of the food. I miss the candied peanuts. Those are like my, fa- like you can smell them. Good, I mean, yeah. The dipping dots and the little plastic Braves hats. I used to have before I left for college, just a stack of the Braves hats that the dipping dots came in, in my room, because that was <laughs> my favorite thing to get at Turner field. I've still never been to a game at the new stadium yet. So I'm hoping to, to get there this year. Turner field was my sweet spot. And then after, I guess I, left for college and left you know wasn't as close anymore I didn't get to go as much but I it's closer uh, now because you it's thanks to the taxpayers of Cobb County who spent hundreds of millions of dollars on a new stadium that the Braves didn't need fortunately we don't live there so we can say thank you to them and we're not we can go Um, but they're a lot closer now probably with traffic and all that potentially an hour closer it really is 
Yeah, so I'm, we're we're obviously clearly very excited that today is the day. It's it, uh, Max Freed is pitching today. Let's go, let's go, Braves. I need to calm Dang. down before I like huh, get too overheated. <laughs> um, but speaking of pandemic sports, this the, one of the other reasons that Justin is doing this today is because April second is the anniversary of the lockdowns um, in Tennessee and everywhere else, and in Nashville and. We've talked about it a lot over the last year, the consequences, the unintended consequences of the lockdowns. Were they necessary? Were they not? Justin has a lot of opinions on this. We have gone back and forth with um, lawmakers and the governor's administration on solutions to making things better as much as we can. And so I wanted to have Justin on today to mostly talk about some of seeing the good, but also what have we done that's wrong and how can we improve it going forward in the future? The CDC is talking about new strains and all this, that, and the other, but we're all getting vaccinated. And, and so what is the reality of what we're looking at in Nashville and in Tennessee? So it's still early to like really look back and see the, the impact of the lockdowns because you've got to look at not only the business impact, but other, you know, things like suicide rates and mental health issues that I think are going to be things that we have to grapple with for many, many years. But I do think that at least looking at it as time has gone on, locking down the economy did nothing to stave off the virus. And if anything, it expounded, it created an even bigger problem that states that were a little more flexible in terms of their approach that didn't keep businesses closed for long periods of time have certainly recovered better economically already compared to those states that are still in some kind of lockdown mode or were for a really long time. And so I think that, you know, we focused really early on on this notion that you can protect both lives and livelihoods during this. It's not one or the other. It can't be one or the other. You have to do both. Right. I think Tennessee did a really good job uh, in doing that and trying to create that balance uh, more than a lot of other states did. And I think we'll see the benefits from that in terms of our economic recovery and, and those types of things. But it was really concerning to see government step outside of its traditional role, shut down businesses and make decisions that we hope they never make again. And so there's a lot of talk in the legislature about you know, how to certainly protect the governor and local officials like mayors and, and, and those making quick decisions during a pandemic, giving them the executive authority to do so, but ensuring that their uh, decisions aren't without some kind of check or some kind of uh, balance. While we did it pretty well here in Tennessee, we've seen that get out of control in other states. And we don't know what the future will hold here, right? And so we may have a future uh, governor or local mayors who go, go crazy. And so things like making sure that these unelected health boards that have done mask mandates and shut down businesses and made a lot of decisions that are unaccountable to the people, they're not elected, making sure that they don't have the authority to make those decisions without say the county mayor um, assigning off on that so that you have somebody who's accountable to the people uh, signing off on those things. Creating that balance while still preserving the ability to act uh, is something that we need to learn from and we need to act on. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that we need to learn from it because we can get in this habit of saying, well, the government did this, government's bad, whatever. And we all, always want to 
put checks and balances in government, but we never faced anything like this before in modern times. So we had no idea that the health boards would go out of control and yeah. institute all these things. And so now looking back on it and being able to say, this is what needs to happen. This is what worked during a pandemic. This is what didn't work during a pandemic. This is what needs to happen. I think is the and best. On the flip side of that, we've had people criticize us. Oh, well, you didn't, you should have sued the government to stop them from shutting down businesses or mask mandates or whatever. Well, frankly, state law authorized those things. And like you said, we didn't foresee that. I don't think anybody saw that when you created a law that says anytime a health board makes a decision that is immediately a class C misdemeanor to violate that, no one thought it would be used in this context. So now that we've learned our lessons, let's change those laws so that people do have more freedoms and more protections against an overreach of government in the future. Uh, while again, still maintaining the ability of the executive officials to act uh, is, is certainly something that an undertaking that that is, is taking place in the legislature right now and something that we encourage them to really pay attention to and, and, and make some decisions on um, so that we don't have the same problems in the future. Yeah, to everyone who, who wanted the, to us to sue or any groups to sue, this is the most pragmatic way to do it is to really change the law now so that in the next over the next year or two, instead of being tied up in litigation, the law's already changed. This is where, you know, I think that good things are good things are going down as far as um, how we are learning from from the mistakes of the pandemic. Um, so I, I think that ultimately, I know at least in Alabama, things are starting to open back up. Across Tennessee, things are. Nashville is not not quite there yet, but not there. slowly not there. but surely. Slowly but surely, but we definitely do have hope. We've seen so many good things happen over the last year, even amidst all the bad things. Companies pivoting to meet needs of respirators and ventilators and hand sanitizer and food delivery and things to really help people who have been locked down creating masks there has been so much good that we have seen Justin what's one of your what's one of your see the good and praise it moments that that might be up in your favorite in your top five you know we talk a lot about innovation at Beacon and really wanting to position Tennessee to be a national leader in innovation and I think through a lot of the suspension of regulations that the governor did that now some of those things are being made permanent, whether it's telehealth, getting rid of telehealth restrictions, certificate of need reform in healthcare. I mean, there are a lot of things that are never going to come back. Um, and that's a really good thing. And then you saw, as you said, companies stepping up and filling the void, allowing them to do so and to innovate freely and to be able to pivot and provide those goods and services in a time of need. Uh, and in good times as well, I think is something that I'm excited to see because we will never return uh, to some of those old ways of doing things. And I think that's a really good thing for you want to start a business or be the beneficiary of someone who starts a new business and comes up with a new innovative idea to solve a problem. Um, I think that has been accelerated in a lot of ways because of the pandemic. Yeah, we love it. We love it. I, I, there are just so many good things that have happened. Sometimes things need a push. This isn't necessarily the push that we would have wanted, but it's the push that we got and we're making the best of it. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting that's come up that I personally hate is the idea of a vaccine passport. Um, everyone's been talking about it and I don't know, I have, I have a few mixed opinions on it. If private businesses want verification of you being vaccinated, then I can, 
I can get behind that. Just like if private businesses want you to wear a mask when you've been in their door. Okay. Um, but as far as the government requiring a vaccine passport to travel, uh, pretty much hate that. Justin, what's your take on it? Yeah, you've got to be careful. I mean, there are already, not vaccine passports, but you know, if you go to many countries, you have to get certain vaccinations totally. before you can go there. And there are reasons that, that justify that. I do think the, you know, with, with the COVID vaccine, um, we need to make sure, just like with the, 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 the precedent we set with shutting down businesses for being non-essential and all of those things, we have to think really long and hard about the consequences of that because we've never seen all of this come to fruition in this, at least in our lifetime. Right. Um, we haven't had a pandemic of, of this scale worldwide. And so we don't want to set precedent that can then, what do you have to get a flu shot every time you want to travel? I mean, we should embrace travel and not put severe restrictions on it with the caveat that you said, like if private businesses want to say, we're throwing a concert in our venue and we want you to have the vaccine um, in order to come in the short run, at least while the pandemic is still going, right. then there's an argument for that. As you get more into the long term, and again, things that are seasonal, like flu, the flu yeah. um, mandating vaccines, you just have to be careful that we don't set a precedent that has unintended consequences. I want to travel, and then I will do what it takes to travel, yes. um, and I'll make those you know, decisions uh, on behalf of myself, and I have been vaccinated, so I'm glad to have that done, but I do think that we have to be careful not to set a precedent that could have ramifications that we don't think about, you know, just because we're trying to apply this one situation to something that could then be applied to a lot of other things. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, I think it's important to say that we are talking to two people. We got our flu shots together earlier this year. We're not by any means, no vaccines. We're just more, let's think practically about what the precedent is that we're setting with the government. I mean, I've gotten shots to travel. I remember getting the typhoid shot. Have you ever gotten that one? My arm was dead for a week. It wow. is the most brutal shot I've ever gotten when I went to Haiti. That one was brutal. And so I, I can understand that. But I think you make a make a really good point that, you know, it sounds nice in the short term, like, oh, let's just prove that people are vaccinated. But then it could have a snowball effect that could be uh, pretty, pretty dangerous. So I do like the idea of like, we're going to Alaska in a few months. And one of the things we have to do is either get tested and show that we tested negative within 72 hours, or show that we've been vaccinated. So giving people the option of, you know, when, when you travel to show that you don't have uh, the virus is okay in that regard. Uh, but the idea of like a vaccine passport that you have to show everywhere you go is that's a different, different level. That's, that's a little, that's a little dystopian to me. I don't know if yeah. you like that very much. I'm, I'm all for the getting, getting tested thing. Um, so one thing that's going on this year, and this last thing I want to talk about, because I want Justin to really paint us a picture and tell the story of this is we've talked about this a few times, the hall tax repeal. I was not at Beacon when this went down. Justin was, he was kind of, I guess you could say the ringleader of this whole thing. I would, I mean, I, I brag on Justin a lot, which I know I also trash him a lot. So I really got like balance things out. You balance it well. Yeah. I've tried to balance it. Um, but this year tax season is coming up. I've already done my taxes because I'm responsible and the taxing season is coming up and 
one of the taxes that a lot of Tennesseans won't be paying this year for the first time is the hall tax. And it's because of Beacon's work on that. So Justin, I want you to really paint us a picture of how this all went down and why it's so important that we are now truly, Tennessee is truly an income tax-free state. For the first time in 90, some of, since 1929. Yes, so it's, huge. It's something that, that I'm really proud of our role in and excited to to talk about now that it is finally officially gone and we're no longer an asterisk state so we've always said we don't tax income and there's always been an asterisk next to that with a little line below that said except for income on stocks and bonds retirement income we tax that income uh and so you know for many many years we said this is a bad tax it actually doesn't bring in a massive amount of revenue to the state um certainly not to justify it and it's just economically a bad tax. Well, for years and years, we would have situations where we would get a little chip away, they would reduce the rate a little bit, or they would, you know, lower the number of people that had to pay the tax. We never could gain any real momentum to fully get rid of it. And so we finally said, you know what, we're going to work to get the public engaged on this. We've worked within the legislature and that hasn't sufficed. So how can we get people engaged? And we just started talking about what it like you're punishing retirees, you're punishing seniors for saving and planning for their retirement. And that's just not the Tennessee way. And we made it a moral issue more than an economic issue. And despite not a lot of people even noting that this tax existed, we engaged tens of thousands of people. We did a, a video ad. You, know, you want to get Southerners attention, you talk about football. So we football. did an ESPN style ad comparing Tennessee to Florida. They got like 2 million some odd views. Um, and I think it was six weeks was the total uh, campaign. So it was a very short time frame. We really worked hard to educate the public in a fun and an entertaining but enlightening way. And then generated 75,000 emails to legislators over the course of that time. And were successful that year in 2016 repealing the tax for good. It's a phase out over the course of the next few years. And as of January 1 of this year, it is officially gone and Tennessee is finally income tax free. And that's not only important from like our taxpayer standpoint. Yeah, we say $400 million a year for taxpayers. Uh, that's a big deal. Big deal. But now Mississippi uh, is talking about repealing their tax. In fact, I just did a podcast uh, with the, uh, our friends there, the state think tank there, about their efforts to repeal their income tax. You've got numerous other states that have tried to cut theirs and roll theirs back. And so it really helps drive reforms in other states as well uh, and provides those citizens uh, with opportunities to keep their hard-earned money. So it's, it's exciting for Tennesseans and it's exciting for the precedent that it can set for others. We love when Tennessee's in the lead. We That's love it. We're we're about to take the lead in everything, and and this guy is going to lead. Except football, so yeah, <laughs> football. Really yeah, Tennessee's got some work to do. <laughs> got got a little bit of work to do on football. Well, uh, you will not be paying the hall tax this year. No one will be paying the hall tax this year. It's a beautiful thing to live in a income tax free state. You know, when I'm here in Alabama visiting, people say, "When are you going to come back? When are you coming back?" And I say, "When y'all are no longer an income tax state," because I got I got a pretty cushy situation. Of North in Tennessee. I'll take it. Well, Justin, thank you for joining me today. Any final thoughts before we sign off? Go Braves. Go Braves. We'll see you guys next week.